Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Thessalonians chapter number four. You know how your mind, like when you've grown up in church, your mind just has a way of doing certain things when you see certain things and hear certain things. That song makes me feel like that we need to pray and close the class because it's like an invitation song. And so uh, it makes me feel like that the, immediately following that, Jordan was going to say, let's pray and thank God for our service and, uh, and in, the, in the day. And so um, also the, what was the first song we sang? I wonder have I done my best for Jesus? Yeah. I don't know that I'd ever like paid attention to the lyrics of that song. Man, that's a convicting song. Hours I have wasted are so many, and hours I've spent for Christ are so few. I think that he he wrote that before social media. I wonder if they would what they would think about it now. And so, um, anyways, First Thessalonians chapter number four. I read a stat the other day that the average iPhone user over the age of 30, which that would not even include, um, well actually I think over the age of 40 um, was what it was. So the millennial generation and Gen Z, this stat doesn't even apply, but the average iPhone user touches their iPhone 2,971 times during the day. And so uh, anyways, if you, or smartphone user, I guess it doesn't have to just be iPhones. So, but then they said that for millennials and Gen Z, that that number actually almost doubles, so. That's convicting. Next time, just don't touch it. Just look at it, all right? Uh, um, but anyways, First Thessalonians chapter number 4. We've been in a series entitled Living in Light of Eternity. Before we get into that, um, I wanted to mention that the notes in the back, uh, if you didn't get those, they are hole punched. We've got a few more notebooks left. So one of the things that we're doing through this series is trying to provide you um, a little bit more expansive notes. And so um, you can follow along. There's application questions uh, for you to be able to go through. And so um, I firmly believe that one of the missing elements of the church today is not so much Bible teaching and Bible preaching, I think that we do a great job at that, uh, kind of as Christianity as a whole. In fact, I think that we do so good of a job at it that like we tend to elevate that and we make everything uh, Bible preaching and Bible teaching. And so we go play laser tag and it's like, all right, here's the laser tag sermon for today. Um, and so we almost try to incorporate it into everything. And sometimes what we miss is we miss the application side of that. And so one of the things, if you're just joining us, I am, uh, I try to be heavy on application. I try to be be uh, heavy on making it apply to your life, and um, the Holy Spirit ultimately does a better job than that at that than I do. But um, one of the ways that I think that we do that and really take what we hear on Sunday with us is through questions and through maybe discussions that we can have with others. And so that notebook that is over there, like I said, I think there's a couple copies uh, still over there where you can put your notes in it and uh, maybe go through it and have some discussion questions, have some application questions. And along with that, um, I wanted to talk for just a second about the retreat. I'm honestly trying to give myself as little time as possible about today's topic, so you'll see that in just a second. Um, but anyways, uh, the retreat is coming up July 22 uh, through 24, as Matt mentioned. One of the things that we've kind of gotten feedback on over the years of the retreat is that it kind of seems like that it's a retreat, but 
but it's the pedal to the metal the whole time that we're there. And so um, when we get the, when you get the schedule, you'll notice that we're just going to do one activity uh, this year. We're going to try to incorporate it into a good time. But I've asked all of our speakers, so we'll have five different video sessions from different speakers from around the world. It's a great opportunity for us to hear from others that maybe um, are not able to be here and kind of get the benefit of talking with and hearing other people that we wouldn't get to hear on a normal basis. And so we'll have five speakers and I've asked all of them to speak really just on the mind, on the mind, protecting your mind, growing your mind in Christ, focusing your mind on, on Jesus Christ. And so um, the Lord has really been pushing me in that direction um, as I'm even learning and as I'm reading and studying. And I kind of touched on it a little bit a couple of weeks ago. But I think that what we'll even do this summer as a class is to focus on that and how that we can, as, as Philippians chapter number two, verse five says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And the Bible talks so much about the mind and almost seems like that society is searching for answers to their mind. And while they're searching for all of those answers, the Bible has those answers already included. And so um, I've asked our speakers to do that and uh, to really focus on that and even just almost share their heart personally. Um, sometimes I know that you go to a retreat or you go to maybe a camp and it, it, it doesn't feel real. And so all the people that I've asked so far have said that they would be more than willing to do that. And I've asked them to kind of share their personal experience about how the Lord has helped them with that. And so with that in mind, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Verse number three is where we're going to be. We've been going through this verse by verse. First um, Thessalonians chapter number four, verse three uh, is where we actually were going to somewhat fall on Mother's Day. Didn't seem like an appropriate passage for Mother's Day when everything's flowery. Um, I had an alternate title that I was going to use on Mother's Day. I'm not going to share that with the class because I don't know that it would be appropriate. Um, but anyways, we skipped it and uh, we were uh, looking at, That's I think that's the day that we stopped and kind of looked at the mind. And then last week, I kind of isolated uh, verses 1 through 3a, and we're going to continue that thought in verse uh, number 3, the second part of it. And for those of you who are just coming in, you're like, oh great, I joined the singles class and they're going to talk about sexual purity on the first Sunday that I'm there. I promise that's not what we talk about. Like, they must really feel like that we need this moving up. And you don't need it, okay? It's just, this is where verse by verse falls. And here's the reason why I like verse by verse, okay? Many times in scripture and many times as a preacher, as a teacher, we're guilty of going and finding what we want to talk about. I've been like that before. I've, I have thought of something or maybe I've seen something and I thought, well, you know what, I want to talk about that. We actually have a running joke in some of our staff meetings to where we, when someone says an illustration or someone reads a story or the other day we were talking about something and, and someone said, man, I heard this really cool story and they shared like this illustration basically and they're like, I want to preach about it but I just need a passage to talk about to go along with the story. That's not how preaching and teaching works, okay? You start with scripture and then you go and find the illustrations and so but sometimes what we're guilty of doing is we know that there's a scripture out there, so we go and we find it and we make it what we want to talk about. Verse by verse keeps you from doing that, okay? Preaching the whole counsel of the Word of God is what preachers and teachers have been called to. And so guess what? That means that when I get to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse 3, and it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. When I preach through verse by verse, I don't have the luxury of going like, oh, well, don't want to touch on that, so let's go to chapter 5, okay? I firmly believe that every single word and verse of Scripture is given for a reason. And so today, I want us to take a biblical view 
of this idea of sexual purity. Next week, we're going to talk about brotherly love, okay? So you give me one week, and we'll move on to uh, something else next week. And so brotherly love is next week, but sexual purity is this week. And so we're going to title this The Sinful Sign of Not Living in Light of Eternity. The Sinful Sign of Not Living in Light of Eternity. I want us to read verse number 1 and 2 just for some context. We referred to these last week, but I want us to look at those again this week so that we can kind of get the context for what verse number 3 is talking about. Let's read verse number 1, and then we'll read down through verse number 8. He says this, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. So let's get a little bit of context here for those who are just joining us. First Thessalonians is written to the people of what city? Help me out. Thessalonica, good job, good job. You guys do listen, all right? Thessalonica. Someone talk to me about why was Paul writing back to them? We've talked about this in some of our introductions. Why was Paul writing back to them? Good. You just remembered the city. You didn't remember the why, okay? Paul was writing back because we said this was a young church. Paul helped found it. He helped plant it. And he was writing back to them because in his kind of haste to teach them, he had not maybe covered everything that was dealing with the rapture. He hadn't covered everything that was dealing with the afterlife. He hadn't covered everything that was dealing with death. And so he's writing back to them to tell them, you know what? Jesus is coming again. This is the order of events that this is going to take place. And so that's the reason why we've called it living in light of eternity. Our goal is so that when we would become eternally, eternity focused, that we would be able to live in the here and now more readily and ready to serve Jesus Christ. So he's writing back to them to help them with that. And so in chapter number four, he says, I'm writing to help you abound more and more. So that's his purpose. Verse number two. He says, For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. So he says, this is the will of God, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despised Despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Would you go back, would you look at just a couple of verses with me? Let's read them out loud together. Let's read verse number four out loud together. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Let's read verse number seven out loud together. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And then let's read verse number 8 out loud together. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. The sinful sign of not living in light of eternity. I'll explain that title in the introduction. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. I realize that this is obviously not something that is a comfortable topic. Uh, this is not something that as a teacher or as a preacher that you wake up and you want to talk about. But Lord, it is in your word. And so therefore, we must talk about it. 
And Lord, not only must we talk about it, we must realize that many of the principles that we will give today are so countercultural to what we're seeing our world go to. And so God, I ask that you to give the people in this room wisdom as they listen. Give me wisdom as I speak. Help me to say only that which you have for me and only that which would be helpful and applicable to these young people. In your name we pray. Amen. When you look at living in light of eternity, I think that what we would all agree on is that the reason why it is so difficult in society is because that's just not the way that our culture works. That's not the way that we're not really built. Our society is not built to have an emphasis on something that occurs after this life. And so as a result of it, we end up grabbing for really everything this life has to all offer. And so when we talk about the sinful and when we look at the title, the sinful, sign of not living in light of eternity, I think that one of the ways that we can this manifest itself the most is through the idea of sexual purity in society. Sexual purity and impurity, I guess if you want to word it like that, has really been around since scriptural times. It's been around in the Old Testament. You can see many of the signs of it, even in the early pages of scripture. You can see people who maybe stepped out the, outside the grounds of marriage and how it worked against them and how the Lord judged them for that. But when you look at society today, what you will see is that this idea of sexual impurity has almost become rampant and normalized to the point to where now stepping outside of your marriage and maybe having an affair or committing adultery or whatever is almost in some ways, it's a grounds for normalcy. It's almost like, well, I haven't done this extreme sexual impurity sin, but this one is okay. And so we've made it to where the things that Scripture talks about are almost normalized because the sin that they're, they're against, and it almost feels like that we as a society have just come to accept it. People are going to cheat on each other. People are going to have relationships before marriage. People are going to, those are normalized things. And I think that when we look at this idea what we can say is that there is probably no greater sign that we fail to live in light of eternity than when we seek to meet our sexual needs above anything else. When we seek to place a priority on them. Because what we're doing is we're saying the feeling that I have in this moment is greater than the feeling of obeying God's law and walking in His way. And what we're going to talk about may seem like that it's a narrow subject, may seem like that, well, this is just, as long as I'm not doing this, then I'm good. But here's, I want us to make some application for the people in this room, okay? The sin of sexual purity is not, or impurity, is not something that is a one-time decision. It is something that is a daily battle, meaning this. That it is not something that you can just throw a promise ring on or wear a necklace about or sign a commitment card at a youth camp saying that I'm going to remain pure. It is a daily battle for a guy and for a girl. Meaning this, that when you wake up in the morning, while you may not be living some promiscuous lifestyle, you do have control over what you give permission to in this society and what you give permission to into your life. And yes, you may not be, like I said, living some promiscuous lifestyle. You may not be partying on the weekend, sleeping around, whatever, okay? But what you allow to come across your television, what you allow to come across your phone, what you allow in the conversations that you're having, those things still matter.
those things are still a part of your sanctification process according to the scripture. And so let's make some application. Let's realize the gravity of this and how it affects us. I want you to look at really six thoughts. We're going to fly through these. First of all, I want you to notice this, that sexual purity is the will of God. Sexual purity is the will of God. I want you to look at this in verse number three. He says, for this is the will of God. Okay. Sometimes I know that we're, we make the will of God very mysterious and like eerie. Like, well, I don't really know God's will for my life. I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't know who he wants me to marry. I don't know all these things and so we make it very kind of vague don't we and most of us if we had a question right now it would be I don't know what God's will for my life is well let me give you something very simple because the Bible says for this is the will of God so guess what as people who want to seek after the will of God as people who might not understand what God's will is if this says for this is the will of God we should probably pipe up and listen shouldn't we we should probably pay attention to that it says for this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication for this is the will of God even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication I want to talk about two things just really quickly under this first of all is this the word fornication is the Greek word. If you go back and you look at it, it is the Greek word pornea. You've probably heard someone say that, okay? It is the Greek word pornea, which is obviously the root word of where our word pornography comes from, okay? So what he's saying in this is he's not just classifying it as sexual impurity. He says this is a lifestyle. This is a desire. This is lust. This is, this is a hunger for something that is forbidden, okay? And so when we talk about fornication, we're talking about just the sexual lifestyle that is offered by society. But he also says this, he says, for this is the will of God. Can I give you just a small snippet of an understanding of the will of God in regards to this? Many times we hunger and we seek after the will of God and we say that we don't know what it is for our life and we say that we don't have clarity in what God wants us to do. When the will of God is not something that you just stumble into. The Bible says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, meaning this. That if you are operating outside of the known will of God, then very rarely are you going to stumble into the, the unknown will of God. Meaning this, okay, I, wanna, I want you to see this. If you wake up every single morning and you say, you know what, I'm struggling with maybe my sexual desires, I'm struggling with what I look at on my phone, I'm struggling with the TV, those TV shows that I allow into my life, I'm struggling with this. The known will of God, according to verse number three, says, for this is the will of God. Okay, so you kind of can't mince words on that one. Even your sanctification that ye should abstain from fornication. How many of you, by a show of hands, you say, I want to marry the person that is God's will for my life? Let me see your hand, okay? I want to marry the person this guy this is a singles class as Matt already referred to I think we got like 88% of you who said that you wanted to marry God's will for your life the other 12% will pray for you okay but I want to marry God's will for my life guess what you're not going to live a lifestyle outside of the will of God and then stumble into God's will for your life so you're not going to let's just go extreme okay you're not going to go and you're going to meet someone at a bar. You're not going to go party. You're not going to sleep around. And all of a sudden, 10 years, five years down the road, Lord, look at this happy marriage that you gave me. Why? 
Because you have lived in a realm outside of the will of God, outside of the known will of God, to the point to where now all of a sudden you're into something that, guess what, isn't the will of God. So you don't get to live your way against God's will and then still get the blessings of God that, hey, look, I got God's will for my life. Looky here. When you are lacking in clarity on the will of God for your life, I want you to make a practice of going and evaluating the known will of God. For, is that the five-minute bell? Holy smokes. Oh, my goodness. We might have... Oh, I don't want to do part two of this. Okay, we're going to hurry. That's what we're going to do, all right? You don't get to wake up all of a sudden 10, 20, 30 years down the road and, Lord, look at the blessings you've given me. Live in the known will of God, meaning this. When you lack clarity, this is what I was saying before that bell went off. When you lack clarity, make a habit of taking evaluation of what you're doing that you know you're supposed to do. What does James say? Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So take evaluation of what you know to be right. First of all, sexual purity is the will of God. Secondly, sexual purity is a personal decision, meaning this, that it affects you personally. Look at verse number four. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor meaning this you must make decisions for yourself that may not be popular with those around you but guess what it's not their purity that's at stake it's not their vessel I don't go and tell someone else how to take care of their car. I don't go and tell someone else how to take care of their house. I don't go and tell someone else how to take care of their body. I tell myself what God wants me to do and how to possess my vessel, meaning this, that if you have strict limits on your phone to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, then guess what? If someone says, man, you're weak. You must be a really shallow Christian. You, mu you, must, be a really, you must really lack some depth. It's not their vessel. Do what God has called you to do to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. If you take 35 different chaperones on a car date, then do it, okay? Then possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. This is a personal decision. You'll have to take a school bus if you do that, okay? But possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, meaning this. That when you make a decision that protects your sexual purity, that's not something that should be frowned upon by other Christians. That's something that should be elevated and promoted and maybe even evaluated in your own personal life. I know Christians far better than anyone in this room whose phones are locked down, whose, whose te televisions and computers are locked down. One of the things that we have here as a staff and on, and on our property is we have filters on the internet for church property. It's probably a good idea for a church to have filters on their internet. You should be able to have accountability partners. Those are all things that help you possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, meaning this. It's your vessel that you are going to stand before God one of these days and give an account for. So make this a personal decision. Make this something that is, is personally effective for you. Someone once told me, don't copy someone else's watering schedule just because you see growth. Meaning this. You don't have to copy what someone else does. You have to do what God has personally told you to do for your Christian life that helps you possess your vessel. 
Sometimes we like to go and we go and we find the, the best Christian we know and we want to mimic everything that they do. Okay? There's not anything terribly wrong with that. But at the same time, the Holy Spirit works in each and every one of us differently. Meaning this, that there may be some really great, strong Christian who can sit down and who can just watch whatever television show they want and they never struggle with their thoughts. They never, okay, I would probably argue with that, but let's just say it for, for instance, okay? But you can't. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with standing up and walking out of a, maybe a TV show or a movie that your friends sit down and you say, I just can't do that. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make myself look good. I can't do that for my Christian life. There's nothing wrong with that. And so then thirdly, is not only is it a personal decision, but sexual purity is a separation. I want you to look at this in verse number five. He says, not in the lust of concupiscence. That's desire. That's, that's lust. That's, that's a hunger for something that is forbidden. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. He says this, don't just do this because it's the Christian thing to do, or maybe because you, you it maybe because you're like, you, well, I don't want to have this lust, I don't want to have this hunger, I don't want to have this desire. Don't do it. He says there's people who can control their lust and their desire that don't know God. Most of us would say this is that even the world knows that a Christian should not live a sexually impure lifestyle, wouldn't it? Wouldn't we? It's almost like that the world knows that the things that they're doing aren't what Christians are supposed to do. So when you choose a sexually pure lifestyle, here's what you're doing. You are making a distinction between you and someone else. If you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're whatever, you shouldn't be the guy at work who's going and talking about things that are filthy. You shouldn't be the girl who everyone knows, well, yeah, I know that she's sleeping around with her fiancé. When you get married one of these days, you shouldn't be the one at the, at the workplace who's known as, well, I, they're getting way too close to so-and-so, and I know that they're married. I know that they have a relationship with someone. I know that they're engaged. Protect yourself. Protect yourself. Place boundaries around you and around your relationships so that you may have a distinction. Sexual purity is a separation. And number four, a sexual purity doesn't just hurt you. I want you to see this. Sometimes we like to assume that, well, what's it hurt? What's it hurt if I watch something that maybe doesn't help my thought life? What's it hurt if maybe I uh, indulge myself in a TV show that promotes that? What's it hurt if maybe I peck around with someone for a, for a couple of minutes? What, what does it hurt if I go on a date and I never get with her again? What does it hurt? I want you to look at this in verse number six. He says something very interesting. He says that no man go beyond that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. He says that no man go beyond, meaning this. Somewhere in your relationship with someone else who is not your wife or not your husband, there is a line. So for all of the people out there that, oh, there, there's no line, just do whatever feels right. Just, you know, date, date this way, date that way. No, 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 no. This isn't a TV show, okay? There is a line. He says that no man go beyond. So there is a line. There may be a line for you personally that is further back than someone else's line. Great. 
But guess what? There is a line that no man go beyond, and here's why. He says, and defraud his brother, meaning this. Until there is a ring on that person's finger, they're not yours. And just as wrong as it would be to put someone, uh, to take someone else's money and defraud them of maybe financial success, to defraud them of some other sort of type of success, it's just as wrong to defraud someone else of a relationship, of to defraud someone of sexual purity. And when you cross that line and you defraud, you, you maybe cross that, well, who did it hurt? It hurt someone else. It hurt their future spouse. It hurt their future husband. It hurt their future kids. Because now there is a relationship that has been defrauded. Does that make sense? This doesn't just hurt you. And might I add also in light of this, that doesn't mean just with someone else. That means that what you view in your personal time, that does not just hurt you. That defrauds others of relationships. Fifthly, and we'll hurry through these last two. Sexual impurity is ultimately against God. I know that this generation, and I know the people sitting in this room, we have a, we're really good at making excuses for our sin, aren't we? Sometimes we even use the Bible to make an excuse for it. But I want you to look at verse number 7. He says this, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man. So he says you defraud man, but when you cross that line, ultimately who you're despising is God. Yes, you have maybe hurt someone else, but the sin is against God. I want to remind you of something. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but Psalm chapter number 51 is David's psalm of repentance, okay? He's writing. It really actually teaches us. He gives us a framework for how to pray and deal with our sin. And one of the things that he says in Psalm chapter number 51 is multiple times, I think three or four times, he actually says, my sin. And he makes the statement, he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Do you, know what, do you know what sin he was referring to in Psalm chapter number 51? His sin with Bathsheba. He didn't bring up Uriah. He brought up that he had sinned against God. He says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Did he defraud Uriah? Yeah. In fact, he continued to defraud him by sending him back to the front lines and ultimately murdering him. But he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And let me just say this. This does not just apply to this. This applies to any sin at all. Until you see your sin as something that is against God, you'll very rarely struggle with it. Until you see your sin as something that is against God, you'll very rarely struggle with it. Because here's why. Well, I just lied to so-and-so. What does that matter? Well, I just did this with so-and-so. I'm just bitter against them. That doesn't hurt anything. I'm just upset with them. I just gossiped about them. What does that matter? And when we step back and we look at the idea of revival, there's still a dealing with sin. And very rarely will we be convicted of something that does not affect God, which is sad. We would rather, we're okay with it affecting others. 
But as long as it doesn't affect God, we won't ever be convicted of it. And then lastly is this, is that God has given help. I want you to look at the wording, and I love this. Look at verse number 8, okay, and we'll be done. Thank goodness, right? He says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. He says, if you do this, you go your own way, you go do what you want to do, you're despising God. But he also gives us a little bonus tip and a little bit of help here. He says this, Who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. Who hath also given us his Holy Spirit. A couple of weeks ago when we talked about our mind and we talked about how it worked, one of the things that I said is most of the reasons why people lose the battle in their mind is because when they wake up, they don't even realize they're in a battle. You're going to lose every battle that you don't know you're in. Normally how it works, okay? You go and you play laser tag and someone shoots. I don't know why we're on laser tag. That is now taking the place of kayaking, okay? You go play laser tag and you, you don't even know, you didn't hear the little person who says, three, two, one, go, because it's always like some weird techno voice, okay? And then if you don't know that you're in that, you're going to get shot, okay? Same with paintball, same with real life battles, same with airsoft, same with whatever, okay? If you don't know you're in it, you're going to lose. And guess what? If you don't wake up every single day relying on the Holy Spirit's help, to lead you and to guide you and to protect you, to give you boundaries, to give you wisdom, to give you words to say, to give you a way of escape as scripture talks about, then guess what? There will be struggles. There will be hard times. There will be hurt. There will be mistakes. But when you look at this thought, here's what I want you to see is I don't think that there's a greater sign in our society of just how far we've come and how little we are focused on eternity than this. That we can say, I'm going to go and I'm going to get what I want, and I don't care about who it hurts, I don't care about how it affects me, because right now, in this moment, I feel good. I feel happy. So let's step back and let's view that through the lens of Scripture. Sexual purity is the will of God. Sexual purity is not just the will of God, but sexual impurity doesn't just hurt you. Ultimately, sexual purity is against God, but God has given help. And it's time that we as Christians begin to live above the world, live with eternity in mind, and live with the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, Feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.